everybody, and welcome back to Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. An underrated skill to master as a fantasy football player, and one that will give you a leg up on the competition, is to be able to identify rookie talent and determine both the short and long-term impacts these players will have. Tonight, we have just the man here to address the overall fantasy potential of these 2017 rookies. He is Matt Waldman. And aside from being a staff writer for footballguys.com, and we've had a lot of those contributors to that amazing website on this program in recent weeks, Matt runs his own scouting enterprise known as Matt Waldman RSP. You can follow his work at mattwaldmanrsp.com. Every year, Matt completes a rookie scouting portfolio, hence it goes by the acronym RSP, of offensive skill position players that have not only become a Bible for the fantasy community, but also for NFL front offices as personnel executives and scouts around the league regularly seek Matt's opinions on prospects they are interested in. Another interesting thing to add about Matt is that he and I have quite a bit in common. We're both as passionate about Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and football as we are about Charlie Parker, John Coltrane, and Jazz. Those credentials and commonalities speak for themselves, folks, and that is why I am beyond honored to welcome to the show for the very first time Mr. Matt Waldman, how you doing, Matt? I'm doing great, David. It's a pleasure to be on finally. This is going to be awesome. It most certainly is. And uh, without further ado, let's talk about this 2017 quarterback class. It wasn't anything exciting, but there is a lot of training camp hype surrounding three of them. I'm speaking specifically about Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Kaiser, and Patrick Mahomes. Coaches and or teammates have praised all of them as being ahead of schedule in their development. Of those three, which one of them do you see making the biggest fantasy impact this year? And is that potential impact enough to warrant a late round pick on him in keeper leagues? That's a great question. And I would say that when you're looking at quarterback play in a keeper league, you know, if you get this, if you, if you have the opportunity to maybe pick a guy late, it may be worthwhile in that respect. Um, But I tend to go for proven guys at the quarterback position and then try and take a chance on the the best value late. So from this perspective, the the best quarterback is probably Patrick Mahomes, but the guy who's most likely to make an impact this year is going to be between Watson and Kaiser. And I think that Kaiser is probably going to be the one that I would feel best about given game scripts. When you think about game scripts, how's the game going to flow and most likely Cleveland's defense is not going to be so much better than what it was last year, which means that they're going to have to throw to survive. And that means that Kaiser, with his big arm, his ability to move and gain yards by breaking the pocket, makes him probably the best bet for leagues where you're going to emphasize yardage and being able to get some of those um, garbage time yards. Whereas I think Deshaun Watson's going to be playing closer games if he gets into the into the game. He'll be playing in closer scoring formats with game scripts because that defense is so good that while he may look better, he may not produce on a consistent basis from a yardage touchdown standpoint is what Kaiser can offer. Very good points there, Matt. And you mentioned uh, Patrick Mahomes as the best talent of those three. And I agree based on what you have said and what other people I respect have said about him, that he has Brett Favre potential and Andy Reid who drafted him coached Brett Favre, so he knows what he has to work with here in Patrick Mahomes. And based on uh, what you said about him, uh, he, he seems likely in your mind to be uh, to is, as the most likely 2017 rookie quarterback to be the biggest fantasy asset down the road. 
why do you think he will be that kind of player? Well, quarterbacking to me, I, if I were to separate how I grade players from a philosophical approach, there's three components to quarterbacking. And I think the first component you talk about is kind of the one that we most know, which is the physical, you know, does he have a big arm? Is he tall enough? Is he someone that can handle punishment? Does he have some certain certain athletic traits that separate him from the average quarterback? Then you have the academic I would call it kind of more the academic standpoint of quarterbacking, which is understanding the X and O's and whether he has good technique. Is his footwork sound? Does he understand how to move in the pocket to maintain his balance? Does he have a clean enough release that it's not a liability when he's throwing the football? And those are the things that most commonly people look at. And when you talk about general media grading players or scouts um, grading players, they often look at those things because they're the most rec- replicatable and scalable. But the thing is, is that great quarterbacks tend to have those skills or learn those skills, but they also have one other component, which is the emotional intelligence component, the ability to process information quickly and confidently. And it's a quarterback, much like music, is a performance-based art that includes technique and academic understanding. As two jazz musicians who are talking right now, you know, we understand that there's music theory, that there's technique. You know, if you play an instrument, it's either embouchure or how you hold the instrument or, you know, breath control in terms of your diaphragm, all those different types of things that you have to learn that are physical skills and techniques that you learn. And you may know everything you want about theory, but if you don't process the game fast on the stage when there's pressure, when you're playing against grown men who are earning paychecks and relying on you due to the right thing and mistakes can only be, you know, at a minimum, you don't understand what pressure really means until you've done that. Patrick Mahomes processes fast. Now he's going to make mistakes, but just like people who improvise, you, if you make mistakes, you don't clam up immediately after you make the mistake. You just play through and try and make a good melody out of it and try and continue to keep moving forward to make a coherent story. And Patrick Mahomes is that kind of guy. A lot of good players are those kind. The best quarterbacks understand that. And they don't, if they make a fatal, they make a mistake that it usually isn't fatal or they bounce back from a bad mistake and continue to play and don't go into a hole. And Mahomes, to me, not only does he do those things, but he even shows the ability to make good decisions, even though people try to classify him as a Farver Manziel type of guy. He actually showed more decision-making maturity at Texas Tech than he was given credit for, and he's learning the offense fast right now in Kansas City. There's a lot of praise for what he's doing. He's driving them up and down the field in practice. Travis Kelsey's already said that he knows the offense better than what Kelsey learned, and it took Kelsey to learn like two, three years. So. That just tells you right there that Mahomes has all three factors. He probably has to work on the technique and the X's and O's a little more than he has to learn on the emotional IQ part. And to me, it's harder to teach the emotional IQ performance end than it is to teach the technique and the academic end. Absolutely. And now let's focus on this potentially historic running back class. The consensus in the fantasy community seems to be that Leonard Fournette is the favorite to lead rookie running backs in overall fantasy points. However, I personally wouldn't count Dalvin Cook out of this equation either. Right now, with both Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon injured, reports out of Vikings camp suggest that Cook is 
fully taking advantage of this opportunity to seize a workhorse role. Moreover, former Vikings beat writer Matt Bensel suggested that Cook could very well get around 300 touches this year. If forced to choose between Fournette and Cook, who would you want on your fantasy team this year and why? I have Cook rated over Fournette right now, even though Fournette is gaining steam a little bit for me because my biggest concerns about Fournette um, heading into the season is how are the Jaguars going to use him? He, to me, is a better gap scheme ISO play runner, which is a guy that follows a fullback or follows a pulling blocker uh, around, kind of around the gate, and you hit one crease. It's kind of like imagining a big runaway cement truck with no brakes heading into a toll plaza. And what you want to do is say, like from about, oh, a half a mile away, you want to head towards the third toll plaza and just hit that thing. You're going to go through the gate. You might even bust through a concrete barrier that the cops put right in there. It's okay because, you know, you're heading straight downhill. But that's the that's what an ISO and gap scheme's like. If they run more zone scheme, which he's not as great at because some people are concerned about the ankle injuries, I'm more concerned that he just doesn't have great flexibility in his hips. Um, in a zone scheme, they it's more of where the direction towards that toll plaza is. Now they're about 150 feet from the toll plaza gates, and it says, hey, cut that wheel far to the left here. Well, a uh, runaway cement truck that isn't very um, agile is going to wind up taking out the entire toll plaza. So the Jaguars have been better, ha have shown that they're probably going to run more ISO and gap. They're going to run behind a fullback. Those are his strengths. They're throwing to him, which he was always a great receiver out of high school. LSU kind of hid that a bit because that wasn't their style with running backs. But with that said, Brandon Albert retired today. <laughs> he was the guy they traded for. He's probably their most veteran offensive lineman. The line wasn't that strong beforehand. so. If the, their new offensive coordinator, their offensive coach who helped revamp the, the San Francisco 49ers line to help Frank Gore a few years ago and play to their, their strengths, if he can do that with Jacksonville, I think he'll get better. But with all that said, Dalvin Cook is a breakaway threat. He's playing behind a line that has improved some, that when it's healthy, it's pretty good. They've got a better quarterback in Sam Bradford who throws the ball very well deep, even though he didn't do it a lot last year. He was best in the league percentage-wise at doing that. The, the receivers are going to be healthy, and I think that putting Dalvin Cook out there both in the passing game and his breakaway ability, um, he's got good balance. I think that he's the safer bet for redraft leagues right now. And we are going to face an interesting decision when we have our drafts in September. And moving on to another running back, uh, and this player is one that many fantasy analysts consider to be overvalued at the moment, and that is Christian McCaffrey, whose current ADP remains at around the 13th to 15th running back taken off the board. All the signs point to him being used more as a receiver than a runner, and no running back playing with Cam Newton has ever reached 30 receptions on a season. However, reports out of Panthers camp suggest that McCaffrey is being, quote, peppered with quick strike targets, which I personally believe is the best way to utilize him right now. Do you think McCaffrey could catch way more than 30 passes this year? Yeah, I do. And I also think that he'll run the ball more often than fantasy analysts are talking about right now. He is my top dynasty pick overall. Um, Redraft-wise, he's he's not, but it's a tight running back class. I wouldn't argue with you if you took McCaffrey, Cook, Fournette, um, or Mixon 
as one of your top backs in a dynasty league. With that said, though, in redraft, because that's what we're focusing on right now, is that McCaffrey reminds me a lot of the old Eagles back Brian Westbrook. Brian Westbrook is a guy that, you know, Westbrook didn't like that comparison that was made to, to McCaffrey so much. He, But Westbrook was a very good runner between the tackles. Um, and even at the end of his career, there was a game against the Arizona Cardinals tough defense on a Monday night where Frank Gore got hurt and they put Westbrook in. He had over 100 yards and a touchdown and he he looked fantastic between the tackles. McCaffrey has run runs a lot between the tackles like Westbrook in terms of he has good vision. He understands how to set up creases both in zone and in gap. He's someone that may not be powerful but he has excellent balance and quickness. He's excellent with change of direction and burst. And those are factors that get you into the second level and or give you the ability to at least get a push. He can create when there's penetration in the backfield. So when I look at this, let's remember that Jonathan Stewart had over 200 carries last year. He only had eight receptions. Um, If Jonathan Stewart, who hasn't had the greatest health track record, gets hurt again, I don't think Fozzie Whitaker is going to be the guy handling most of those touches. I think it's going to be McCaffrey, who again, you know, has run in a system that's very similar to what the Panthers run. He ran that at Stanford. So while they'll use him in the slot, they'll probably ghost have some ghost or jet sweeps to him a lot as a runner on the outside. They're also going to let him run the ball on the inside. He may only get eight to 12 touches per game. Let's say that's all he gets. If he does that still, um, and you you add in the receptions with that, or you just say eight to 12 touches conservatively, so that's the worst he gets. He's still on pace to deliver what a top 25 back delivered last year. So at, that's a conservative number. If he gets more than that, now you're looking at top 15. Very, very good points there, Matt. And what round at the earliest would you consider drafting Christian McCaffrey in redraft leagues? That's a great question. I think for me, if he falls to the fifth round, he's a must take. Um, I think in the fourth round, if you feel like you've got some really strong players, say, say you picked Antonio Brown first and Des Bryant fell to you in the second round, or Jordy Nelson falls to you in the second round, and you feel like you have really strong receivers and you and you're in a PPR league, then I might take the chance on a guy like McCaffrey at that stage because I feel like that my receivers can carry me and all I need is maybe one running back to really do a sound job for me to be a scoring leader and to dominate I would just need two I would need two good running backs but to be like a contender with maybe being top 3 in scoring each week I rely more on non-running back play and if I can just get one good running back I'm good to go Thank you very much, Matt. And you also mentioned Joe Mixon, and let's talk about him for a minute. Many of us had hopes that Joe Mixon would immediately run away with a workhorse-type role with the Bengals, given Jeremy Hill's inefficient play and the fact that Giovanni Bernard is coming off a torn ACL. However, Giovanni Bernard has been surprisingly balling in training camp so far. And if Giovanni Bernard is able to sustain most of this momentum, how far would you drop Joe Mixon down your draft board? Not very much, and I love Giovanni Bernard. Giovanni Bernard was my number two back in that draft class, and it was essentially a tie with Eddie Lacy that I had to break, and I broke it based on really size and likelihood of how the NFL likes to use backs. That's why I I don't 
particularly love doing rankings when I evaluate rookies because it's more in tiers. They were essentially in the same tier with different uses. But with that said, the Cincinnati Bengals have two issues. One is that their offensive line has taken a big hit with the loss of two excellent players. Number two, they've wanted to be more diverse with their scheme. When they, when they were running, you often saw certain sets that meant that Hill was in the game or that Bernard was aligned in a certain way. Then when they were in the passing down sets, you often saw the same thing with just Bernard in there. But they were, they were, their personnel kind of tipped off what they were doing, and they want to get away from that. And while Bernard can handle the tack, between the tackles reasonably well, it's kind of more of a Brian Westbrook-McCaffrey kind of thing. Um, and they want to go for more of a power running type of deal and a guy that they feed a little bit more often. And I think that McCaffrey and some scouts I've talked to kind of believe I've had several scouts tell me after the draft that they think McCaffrey's closer to all the hype that Reggie Bush had way back when than what people may figure. So there's a little bit of a separation maybe between him if that works out then and, and Brian Westbrook. But when you go back to, to Bernard, Bernard may be closer to that Westbrook deal as it is. And that means that the Bengals may be looking for a guy who can handle 15 to 20 touches a game, who can break tackles in the backfield, who can wear down defenses, but at the same time has that breakaway ability to bounce things outside, to cut back, and also great downfield receiving skills. And his size matches up better than Bernard versus linebackers and safeties, even though Bernard can win downfield as a receiver in terms of his speed and getting separation. So Mixon's just a bigger, better target in the passing game and between the tackles. And I I just have a feeling that as long as he makes moderate improvement as a pass protector early on and understands the checks that Andy Dalton will have for him, that we'll see him as an every down back. And at worst, he'll end up being the Jeremy Hill side of this split and a better version of that. Most definitely. And also given the Bengals uh, challenges on the offensive line, I think it's safe to expect Andy Dalton uh, to throw a lot of short, quick passes and Nixon will probably be the recipient of many, if not most of them. Yeah, that's very possible. And then you could also see both of them in the backfield at the same time, where maybe you run a screen to one side, which would be maybe Bernard. And then you take, Nixon and have him run a bullet route, which is kind of a seam route wheeling out of the backfield and hit him for 20, 25 yards down the field and watch him beat safeties and their angles for longer gains. You might see that type of thing if the Bengals are savvy to what they saw, what you could see on tape with Mixon at Oklahoma where he ran those routes. Most definitely. And speaking of running routes, let's focus on these 2017 rookie wide receivers now. And in terms of these guys, I'm not looking at any of them to make a gigantic splash in fantasy, given the fact that A, John Ross is likely to be used more as a decoy by the Bengals this year, from what I've heard from people there. B, Mike Williams seems likely to miss at the very least quite a bit of time. Heck, Anthony Lynn told the Los Angeles Times today that he's not sure Williams will play at all this season. And C, Corey Davis is in a crowded, crowded receiving core. But however, Corey Davis seems very enticing at a late round price, especially in keeper leagues. And uh, I speak with kind of bias about Corey Davis because he is a graduate for the record of Wheaton Warrenville South High School right outside 
uh, Chicago, where I'm at. And uh, yesterday during practice, it was reported by the Titans uh, beat writers that he absolutely stole the show and connected well immediately with Marcus Mariota. Also, it wouldn't be much of a surprise if he eventually, at some point this season, becomes Mariota's first or second target since he is arguably the most explosive of their top three wide receivers. Would that surprise you? No, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I know a lot of people compare him to A.J. Green. I see him more as a Hakeem Nicks type of player. Um, and a lot of people may find that underwhelming because they only remember Nicks being uh, an injured guy who hasn't done, who didn't do much over the final years of his career in with the Giants and then eventually with the Colts. But early in his career, he was one of the top rookies. He has speed to get downfield. He was terrific on play-action vertical routes on rebounding type of routes uh, on at the boundary or in the red zone, and he could run after the catch. He was a rugged, sure-handed, above-the-rim type of player who could run routes, and that's Corey Davis. Corey Davis, if you're an older guy, you might remember Antonio Bryant, who played with the 49ers, the Cowboys, the Cleveland Browns for a little while, the former star out of the Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Panther, who was a Blitnikoff Award winner. Very smooth receiver. And I, he reminds me of those two players. Um, he's not going to give you that rarefied air of A.J. Green and Julio Jones. But at the same time, he's someone that works awfully hard, gets separation, wins at the catch point. And I think that we're going to see him actually start right away. I think that he will eventually be the number one target. I agree with you there. And I think that, you know, if you're not taking him as the first rookie wide receiver overall in, in redrafts, um, then you're getting an unbelievable deal because you won't get him if he's not. You know, I, I would be surprised if anyone goes before him in terms of rookies in redraft leagues. And I think he's well worth a mid-round pick to take a shot on because Eric Decker will likely play in the slot. Richard Matthews had one good year. Um, and Delaney Walker is really the main guy. And while people like um, Taiwan Taylor, um, I don't think he's ready yet. Really, Corey Davis, he's been a worker all his career. Even his coaches talk about how they had to kick him off the field to make him rest, that he under that he sought out ways to get better and be prepared as an athlete in ways that guys like Devontae Parker weren't quite good at and took three years to figure out. Yeah, that Titans team is going to be very fun to watch this year and for years to come. And another rookie wide receiver making hay in training camp so far is Bills wide receiver Zay Jones, who is the all-time FBS leader in receptions. The Bills have reportedly been playing him both outside and in the slot so far in training camp, according to a report per the team website. And with only Sammy Watkins ahead of him on the depth chart, Jones will have a huge, huge opportunity to produce if Watkins gets hurt again. Should that happen, the volume will definitely be there for Jones. But what I want to know is why his talent will allow him to capitalize on such volume. So my question is, what makes Zay Jones so talented that fantasy owners should pounce on him if Sammy Watkins suffers another significant injury? Well, I think what you're seeing is a player who is very quick. He understands how to get separation early in a route. And he's someone that is underrated at the catch point downfield he has underrated speed i think people were kind of surprised by his speed because he was used so often in the slot at east carolina so you're looking at a guy who who has a lot of different skills that should mesh well with a veteran quarterback as long as he understands the different checks pre and post snap the mental part academic part of the game is the thing that usually trips up receivers the most 
um, because they have to be on the same page of reading coverage the way that Tyrod Taylor does or that their quarterback does. And Tyrod Taylor also has, relies heavily on some improvisational plays because he has great athletic ability to break the pocket. It's not that he's not a, a good academic quarterback. It's just that he has that component too, and it makes it an added challenge for young wide receivers to really get on the same page. Just look at Aaron Rodgers and, and young receivers with him. He throws with the best of them in the pocket, but he can also create. And if you're not able to keep up with him, um, it can be a challenge. So I would say that's the biggest issue where guys like maybe Andre Holmes, who maybe not as good of a prospect, but is a good athlete who's been around the league for a little bit, might wind up having a little bit of an edge over Jones if Jones doesn't acclimate fast in that department. But he is certainly worthwhile um, to look at late in drafts. Definitely a worthwhile look in your late rounds indeed. And let's talk about this rookie tight end class for a moment. And it's a class with extraordinary potential, easily on paper, the best uh, crop of tight ends to enter the NFL in a decade. Yet it is very rare for rookie tight ends to produce jaw-dropping fantasy numbers, and that is why I am personally staying away from drafting any of them. However, if there was one you would take a chance on in a redraft league with keeper options this year, uh, whether it be O.J. Howard, Evan Ingram, David Njoku, Adam Shaheen, Gerald Everett, etc., which one would it be and why? Oh, it would be Evan Ingram, and I've done that in several leagues because Ingram to me is, a, if at worst – he fails as a tight end. He's going to fail upward into a receiver role. He's a he's a four four athlete who, you know, plays to that speed for his size. He wins above the rim. He can run after the catch, and he's someone that's being moved around the field already and succeeding in that role and grasping the middle side of the game quickly, according to observers in Giants camp and coaches. So for me, you know, Brandon Marshall's been a fine receiver in the league, but his career is in, is on the downside at this stage. He may have another good year, maybe even two good years, but eventually Evan Ingram will probably replace him and he'll be working opposite Odell Beckham, arguably the best wide receiver in the game or one of the two best wide receivers in the game. And that means that Ingram will be facing secondary corners quite often. And, you know, even the, an underrated guy like Sterling Shepard, you know, can occupy enough coverage that you're going to see some really nice matchup opportunities for him. So I like him a lot. And I will mention that another receiver who I would just have fantasy overs keep an eye on, who I think will surprise, and that's Cooper Cup with the Los Angeles Rams, um, who's excellent against, you know, releasing against press coverage. Um, his coaches already talk about his mind being having the mind for a game that's like a, a wide receivers coach already in terms of his development from an academic standpoint. And his quickness, his quickness metrics, acceleration metrics are on par with Allen Robinson. He just doesn't have Allen Robinson's speed or his um, dimensional size. He's he's tall enough, but he doesn't have that musculature at this stage. But he's a fine player. He's already beginning training camp as the starter. Now, people may be down on golf and who they're going to have throwing to him, but he's going to be working and getting open in the middle of the field as a slot guy a lot. And that means a lot of garbage time catches. He is Matt Waldman, ladies and gentlemen of Matt Waldman, RSP.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Waldman, and you can check out his work at footballguys.com and in many 
fantasy magazines. Matt, it's been a pleasure having you on the show tonight, but we have two things to, to do before we let you go here. First, we're going to play a game called Long-Term Buy or Sell, and I am going to list some of the rookies that were drafted on the third day of the draft who are making some positive moves in OTAs right now, and I just want to hear a brief explanation on why you buy or sell them long-term fantasy-wise, starting in Denver with D'Angelo Henderson, buy or sell. I just wrote an article today on top UDFAs and late round guys who could shock your draft this year. And my number one guy or tied for number one was D'Angelo Henderson, Maurice Jones, Drew type of um, low center of gravity who runs decisively and, and played in a gap scheme, which the Broncos do. He's turning heads and that team's rick pretty rickety at the running back position. Yes, he has a golden opportunity with C.J. Anderson constantly hurt, Jamal Charles on his last legs, and Devontae Booker. Not only is he hurt, there was questions I heard that whether or not he fits the Mike McCoy offense. So a golden opportunity there for Henderson. Moving back here to Chicago, Tariq the Freak Cohen, buy or sell? I'm going to – I would say that I'm going to sell, even though I like his talent and I like – what his potential fit could be in an offense, but it, he has to find the right offense. And I think that John Fox likes big backs like Jordan Howard and is going to stick with that. And while they talk about using him, I think John Fox is a little more talk when it comes to um, utility backs and he is backing it up. He's going to have to find another home, I think, to do to do that. But he's an exciting player. He most certainly is. And moving on to a pretty similar player, Donnell Pumphrey, buy or sell? I'm also going to sell on Pumphrey. I think he's a smart player. He's learning the offense pretty well as a receiver, but he's not there in Sproles. He ran in a similar system that Sproles ran at Kansas State, and he ran it well. But the difference between him and Sproles is night and day in terms of what Sproles could do as a running back. I would argue that if a team were truly desperate and wanted to use Sproles all season long as a running back in his prime, he would have been a top 10, top 15 fantasy back in the way War done was for Dan Reeves back um, for a year, year and a half with the Falcons. He was that kind of special player. I don't think Pumphrey has that balance or power. He's more of a, a make-you-miss kind of guy who can catch the ball reasonably well. You mentioned Cooper Cup, and uh, but you can't forget about this guy, Josh Reynolds, buy or sell? Oh, I'm buying. He's one of my top receivers in this draft class long-term. Um, he gets off press better than people um, characterize him. He's a quick learner. He's He makes good decisions after the catch, He and his strength is – playing at, at the catch point, making adjustments to the ball in tight coverage. He only knows one position right now out of the three, um, so it may take him a year or two to really get acclimated to a system, and you have the unknown of the quarterback situation there. But I think talent usually wins out, and he has the talent. He most certainly does. And this guy apparently was turning heads in Packers OTAs, Malachi Dupree, buy or sell? I'm buying. Um, I think that it's a long-term buy. You could probably see him re replace Jordy Nelson um, down the line and become a, a good vertical intermediate route runner. He's got to develop his breaks a little bit better, but he catches the ball well. He He's smooth after the catch, and he's someone that can win the ball in the air. So I, I'd, make a, I'd take a flyer on him as an investment. This guy elicited a Tyreek Hill comparison today from his special teams coach, and he's a Georgia Bulldog. Isaiah McKenzie, buy or sell? I'm selling. I um, 
I I haven't I can't say I've seen a ton from McKenzie to to really um, go into great depth with him. But from what I did see, I studied Tyree Kill at, at pretty much a great deal of depth, and I think that Denver is just trying to keep up with Kansas City on that level and failing in terms of what they're doing PR wise in the media to to compare. And that's an awful lot to say. I agree. And McKenzie, I think his best set is more like a, a return man and at best a Taylor Gabriel type uh, receiver that you can throw a couple bombs to a game. But other than that, that is it. And uh, moving on to tight ends, George Kittle, buy or sell? I'm buying. Um, I I wasn't as high on as other people were, but I like the fact that the, the players that John Lynch was trying to draft, I feel like that he's a he's a tough kid who knows how to block for his size. It may take him a little longer despite the excitement that they're set about him, but I don't think he's going to be your, he's going to turn into the star top five tight end, but I think he can be a low tight end one in fantasy leagues. If he develops as a blocker enough um, because he has enough quickness to get up the seam and make plays and he's tough um, at the catch point. John U. Smith by sell. I'm going to buy only because Delaney Walker seems high on him, and I liked what he did after the catch. He's not much of a blocker and has a ways to go. Um, so, you know, it's got to be a deeper league for me to buy that. There's other tight ends who are later and who were picked later in this draft class who I'm much more bullish on than Jonah Smith. But he caught the ball okay, um, you know, in practices from what I've seen. He's acclimating quick, quick for them. So, I'll give I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And last but not least, quarterback Nathan Peterman, buy or sell? Um, I'm going to sell um, only because I think that he's a backup at best. I don't see him developing into that surprise starter. He may give you that provisional starter ability, um, and you'll have a few fans who are like, just give him another year of a chance to develop, and he'll be good. But I I think that his decision making. Um, is strong in certain areas, but not all around um, great in the middle of the field. He takes a little too many chances in, in terms of his processor. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. Once again, Matt Waldman. And before you go, uh, let's uh, look ahead a little bit to the 2018 draft class. And this summer, I've watched uh, clips on a lot of these uh, potential uh, running backs that could enter the league next year, and boy, have I been impressed. You obviously got Saquon Barkley and Darius Geis, but you also got intriguing guys uh, who are just scratching the surface, like Kalen Balaj of Arizona State. You mentioned Justin Jackson of Northwestern, Miles Gaskin of Washington, Ronald Jones of USC. Uh, I am almost as excited, if not more excited about the this potential 2018 class of rookie runners than I am about the 2017 uh, rookie running back class. And that's saying a lot because I'm so excited about this 2017 rookie, back, rookie running back class. Do you think that the 2018 rookie running back class could be as good or better than the 2017 class? I think there's two or three guys who who fit within the 2017 class um, pretty well. And then there's three or four other guys who I think could surprise. I like Akram. I like um, Akram Wadley out of Iowa as a surprise pick. Um, he's very elusive. He, um, he has to get better with his ball security, but he understands how to run between tackles. Well, all the guys you mentioned, I like, but I'll mention two more. Um, and one of them I think is actually 
some people may find this a little bit on the controversial side, but I think Nick Chubb is by far the best running back in this running in this class. Um, and I honestly think that he would have been the best running back in last year's class. I also think that he might have been on par with Ezekiel Elliott in the year before. Um, or yeah, or with um, Todd Gurley the year before last. Um, I think he might be the best running back in the past three years when he's healthy. Um, 5'10", 228. Um, he is someone with a tremendous strength and balance. He he is a guy that breaks multiple tackles. He's a very smart runner. And last year he came back from a torn LCL, MCL, and PCL. Um, and I thought he played extremely well considering that his offensive line wasn't very good. Came back his first week, carried the ball 32 times for over 220 yards against North Carolina in the opener. Um, that tells you where he was at, to be honest with you. Um, and as long as he doesn't suffer any setbacks with the knee and it's healthy and still good to go like it was last year, I think this guy is going to be one of the next top 10 backs in the NFL for years to come. Matt Waldman, ladies and gentlemen, MattWaldmanRSP.com. It's a must-see, folks. Read his scouting reports on all these rookies. Every single year, they will give you a leg up on your competition, your fantasy league. Also, follow him on Twitter, at Matt Waldman. Check out his work at FootballGuys.com. Matt, it, I can't stress enough how enjoyable it was to have you on this program. Um, um, finally, at last, I've been meaning to get you on for a while and I'm glad to have gotten the opportunity. And I definitely hope to have this opportunity in the near future. Thank you. I hope so. Thank you, David. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun indeed. And that's all for today here on Sports Crunch with D. Crom. But we'll be back later this week with a look at the 2017 New England Patriots with my good friend Hal Bent. So stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is crunch with a K. For Matt Waldman, our producer Chris Broadhead, our man in the box, I'm David Cromelo saying so long and, of course, stay awesome.